Lord God, we bask in just the reality of who you are. And as we sing this, this, those words of Isaiah 49, 16 came to mind. That our names are engraved in the palms of your hand. That you are tattooed (laughs) with our names in the palm of your hand. Lord, that we are always before you. And that you never sleep. You're not a God who sleeps and you're not a God who changes. But your faithfulness has been there since the beginning and will be to the very end. Your promises have never defaulted. You have always come through. And though it is often not the way that we think it should happen or in the, in, in the timeline that we would want... God, we can look back over our lives and see the number of times that we have been held within your hands. So God, we rest in that place. That's a reality that where we can bring all the anxieties, the frustrations, the anger, the bitterness. And we realize we can bring them right to the palm of your hands where you hold us. And you bring instead, you take those things off of our shoulders and you, you give us calm. You give us peace. You give us trust and faith and even joy. So, Lord, I pray that fresh faith will arise in each of us. That we can see that it's not just the person next to us, but it's actually us who are held within your hands and who are loved with an everlasting, steadfast love from a God who is only good. So we stand in awe of you, God. We sing praises to you. We are just sobered by you in all the best ways. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Man. Does that just get anybody else? Our names are engraved in God's hands. Like, how many times do you look at your hands every day? <laughs> right? Are you, like, do, like, that's always right in front of us. And that's the point. Is that when you, like, he has you in front of him always. So, man, thank you, Jesus. And thank you, worship team. Thank you, JJ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. Guys, we got a word today. All right, we got something we, that's uh, it's been getting me, and I get to share it with you. So, uh, but before we jump into uh, what I feel like God has for us today, um, where is Shelby? Shelby around? Oh, yes, there she is. I need to introduce you guys to a, a first century Roman soldier friend of mine. Um, Shelby's bringing him out here. He's going to demonstrate some things for me today. Um, this is uh, Dalcius Aurelius. <laughs> Dalcius Aurelius. His dad is also named Dalcius Aurelius, so he's actually a junior. Isn't that ironic? Um, and don't we look alike? Anybody see that? Yeah. Don't we look alike? So th- this, is, this is Dalcius Aurelius. He, is, uh, he looks a lot like Dale Earnhardt Jr., Okay. That's just, that's just a coincidence, and it's also because this is what we had in our church basement to work with. We don't have a mannequin, so this is what we got to work with. All right? So this is Dale. 
see us. And <laughs> I'll get there eventually. He is a first century Roman soldier. He has just been freshly enlisted and trained. He has been through Roman military boot camp. He has read all about the Roman wars. He has sparred with the best of Roman warriors. And now he is declared fit for battle, for war. Thing is, he's never actually been to war yet. Right? So he's heard about it. He's been trained for it, but he's never actually been. And actual battle, that's the ultimate test. Because battle... I mean, I don't know if anybody here has ever been through Roman battle before, but, but it, it can be pure pandemonium at times. And one of the reasons why is even before you get to the hand-to-hand combat part of it, there normally is you have the, the Roman side lined up on one, one side and then the opposing army on the other. And the opposing army will take arrows with flammable tips and they will dip them in fire and then they will shoot hundreds of them that look somewhere like this on the screen across the battlefield toward the opposing army. So I want you to just imagine for a second, when you look up in the sky, and it's like fire is raining down on you and your, and your fellow soldiers. That's a terrifying scene. And that was part of the goal of this, is that oftentimes these arrows, they might claim a few lives, but the main point of it was to set anything they could on fire and to create panic and chaos. But good news, Dale, see us, you have been given a tool to to stand up against that. And he has been given a shield specifically for this purpose. Now, it's not one of those small Captain America-like shields, okay? Not that he would know who Captain America is. But it's not one of those, but it's, it's, it's actually shaped and carries these dimensions right here. Exactly four feet tall, two and a half feet wide was the shield. And it was specifically designed to, for when these arrows come. Because this shield was, instead of, this is foam, but the actual shield is, consists of two layers of wood glued together. And on top of that was linen. And on top of that was leather. And then it was bound together on the edges with iron. And, the, and all of this was intentional. Because when these arrows are coming through the sky, you don't want a metal shield that is going to deflect them. Because if you deflect the arrows, they could hit the guy to your left or your right. But you want a shield that will absorb it. And so the wood, the leather, the, the, the linen was all designed to actually, so the arrows would hit the shield. But before battle, they would take these shields and dip them in water. So when the arrows came... They would be absorbed into the shield and then be snuffed out. Pretty cool design, right? I mean, it's pretty genius. But the real test is going to be when Delcius here steps out on battle for the first time and he sees fire like rain coming down from the sky, what's he going to do? Is that going to cause him to drop his shield and panic? Or will he trust by faith? that the tool is enough. And when that first arrow hits his shield, and there's still flame coming off of it, and he's thinking for a second, oh no, my whole shield may go up in flames, will he hold on long enough to actually see the shield work as it should? Or will he drop it and expose himself to whatever else is coming? 
That's the real test. Is will, once the arrows start coming, will he have faith that the shield is enough? And so we're in a series right now called The Armor of God, which as many of you, I think we're in week four or five now, I can't keep track, but it's at the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church where he is laying out that we as followers of Christ, we are in a battle too, but it's not a physical one, it's a spiritual one. And it's a spiritual one mainly against God's spiritual enemy, who's referred to as Satan or the devil. And as we laid out in week one, he is a cunning adversary, hell-bent on sabotaging God's good work and deceiving God's people. That he uses the tools of deception as his main weapon. But, Paul says straight up, he says, whoa, whoa. Just know that you've been given everything you need to stand firm to. But will we trust it? Because like Delcius here, Delcius, like Delcius here, we, a lot of us, we've had a lot of the training, right? We've been to Sunday school, or you've had, go to small group, you attend Bible studies, you listen to sermons like this, like you've had the, the content and the information, but what do we do when we actually step into the battlefield? How will we respond then? Because that's the real test. That's the real test. When the arrows are coming at us, will we panic and drop our shield? Or will we hold tight and experience God's protection? My main point today is this. The most protected place we can be is following behind our faithful God. So let's open up to Ephesians 6 together. We'll be, uh, we'll be reading uh, ch- chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. Um, but I'm going to zero in on verse 16 today, which talks about the shield of faith that can ex- extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And as we do this, we're going to answer really three questions today. First, if this is a spiritual battle, then, then what are these flaming arrows of the evil one? How are we meant to understand those? But two, what is this shield we've been given, and how are we supposed to use it? So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the most protected place we can be is following behind our faithful God. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Everybody ready? Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything... To stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Everybody say shield of faith. faith. With which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you give our minds understanding of what it is that you are saying. 
but also open our hearts to, to, to the reality of your love and equip our hands for the work that you have us to do and may our feet follow in your way always. And Lord, I pray that just fresh faith will arise in each of us today in response to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, some of you still may be wondering, why is Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the church basement? <laughs> Long story. I'll share it another day, maybe. Um, but today, we're going to focus on Ephesians 6, verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, what's interesting is that in all of the, the various pieces of armor that Paul mentions in this section, this is the only part that he pairs with a specific purpose, which is to snuff out the arrows of the evil one. So before we unpack what the shield is and how to use it, first, what are these arrows? Like, how are we, What does that even mean? What is the weapon that the enemy of God is launching toward God's people, and why? What's the weapon? What's his goal? See, the aim of Satan's arrows is to get us to drop our trust in God and protect ourselves instead. God's enemy is a cunning, trained, targeted archer. But his aim is not really often at our bodies as much as our minds, our hearts, our souls. That our spiritual enemy, he's not all-powerful. He can't do whatever he wants. But he certainly tries to take advantage of the situations around us. And he utilizes psychological and emotional warfare against God's people. I'm not saying that all psychological uh, problems are a result of Satan, but he certainly utilizes these things as warfare against God's people. So what are Paul, what are these flaming arrows that Paul is referring to that are coming at us? Come on now. See, Satan's arrows refer to his strategic deceptions designed to damage our faith in God. Strategic deceptions. So his arrows come as questions about who our God really is. Comes with questions of doubt. Are you sure God's all-powerful or good? What if this whole thing is just like the Wizard of Oz, right? Or, or fairy tale religion. Or they come as questions about how God sees us in the form of, say, false guilt, for example. After what you did, God is so disappointed in you. You let him down. You're such a screw-up. His arrows come in the form of, of trying to get us to distrust our relationships with each other in the church. That he fills our minds with, with critical or judgmental or even hateful thoughts toward one another or tries to make us afraid of each other. Or his arrows come at us to, 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 in the form of questioning God's purpose for our lives. Maybe in the form of intimidation. You really think you can do that? You're not smart enough, strong enough, talented enough, fill in the blank enough. It's impossible. You might as well stop. Or they come in the form of lust or temptation to lust or temptation to sin at all, right? Like what, 
what will it give in if you hurt this one? If you, if you give in this once? What will it hurt if you give in this once? God still loves you, right? And you've been really stressed lately. <laughs> or he lobs arrows of fear, trying to make us afraid of where the world is headed or make us afraid of those that God has called us to reach because they, they think and believe and look differently than we do. See, his arrows come in many different forms. But any of those sound extra familiar to you? And when and where does he often aim them? When we're alert and close to God? Not really. Most of the time, the enemy, God's enemy aims his arrows where we're most vulnerable and weak. He aims them right to inflame areas of past trauma. Or he, inflames, or he aims them right at the areas where, where we may be nervous about giving in to bad habits again. Or he aims them at our insecurities about who we are or, or how other people see us. Or he aims them at fleshy motivations that have still been yet to be transformed by Jesus. Or he targets us when we are tired, discouraged, or afraid. And truth be told, but I, I could point to all of these things as examples of my own life. But I've learned, especially true, that when my life gets so busy to where I, I allow myself little to no margin to spend time with God, that's when all the, like inevitably, intimidation, discouragement, fear, come. You can't do this. God's so disappointed in you. Who do you think you are? And what happens when these arrows come, but we don't know how to resist them? You see, when these arrows pierce our minds and our hearts, if we don't know how to resist them, then we try to shield ourselves from them. That instead of raising a shield of faith, which we'll talk about more in a moment, we develop self-defense mechanisms. Come on, somebody. Because, see, here's the deal. If, if the arrows of the enemy can start to damage or weaken our trust in God, our trust in each other, then naturally we're going to start trying to defend ourselves, but we're going to defend ourselves from God and from each other. We're going to start developing our own ways of trying to defend ourselves, but we're looking at God and each other as the enemy. At least we're treating each other that way instead of actually knowing who the enemy is. There's a Bible teacher and author named Bob Mumford who labels what I see as the three most common self-defense strategies, which are either running, hiding, or shifting blame. Sometimes when we see these arrows coming at us, we drop our shield and we just want to run. Then instead of facing the battle and advancing, we decide to check out, tune out from God and from others. And we may straight up quit, just stop showing up, or we might quietly quit and just disengage from those who are around us. But it is a form of trying to run and not having to face the very thing that we're afraid of. But if we're not running, then we may want to drop our shield and hide. We can hide and still be around people. We can hide and not allow anybody to know who we actually are or what we're going through. Or hiding could be in the form of 
after those arrows of temptation come of entertaining secret sin over here and nobody has to know about it. But if we're not running and hiding, at last we may work to really shift blame toward God and others. Then when the arrows of anger are lodged within especially areas of trauma or disappointment in our lives, we can step into starting to blame others and play the victim. But when we do that, we are not open at that point to God speaking to us, transforming us, because we're so busy pointing the finger at him and everybody else. And for a lot of us, you know what? This may be all you know to do. Some of us, we grow up with these self-defense things because of things that have happened to us. Like this is how we have learned to cope in life. But, but we're exposing them because they're they self-made protections that whether we want to or not end up creating a barrier between us and God and us and one another. But what does that do? If we're busy holding up barriers between others who love us and God, our back is, is exposed to the true enemy. I wasn't asking you. <laughs> Man. We Google everything, don't we? Yeah. So, all right. So all that said... Man, we realize that many of us do live this way, right? They're guarded and reserved because we don't know how to trust God. And we certainly don't know how to trust other people yet. But Paul says, but good news. Like, God has given you a tool to extinguish these flaming arrows before they can even lodge themselves within you. Well, what is it? And how do we extinguish these things so that we learn to live from a place of security in him? See, we can snuff out Satan's flaming arrows when we meet them with faith in our faithful God. So take up the shield of faith, he says. Okay, Paul, what's faith? Right, because if you think about it, sometimes faith is just thrown around, but it's sometimes treated like, like this squishy idea. Like we don't really know what it is or how to understand it. Now, I think it helps if we try to create a distinction between belief and faith. Now, I might be splitting hairs a little bit, because in the New Testament, the same Greek word is used for both belief and faith. So maybe the New Testament doesn't understand, that. maybe the New Testament doesn't see a difference here, but I think at least for our understanding, it's worth recognizing this, that we can believe that something is true mentally, but faith is acting as if it were true. All right? We can believe something is true mentally, but faith is acting as if it were true. I can believe that that tree outside is strong enough to hold me, but faith makes me climb it. All right? I can believe that Shelby loves me, but faith makes me ask her to marry me. Right? I can believe that in the almighty good God who came in the flesh to pay the penalty of our sin on a cross and rise again from the dead to give us new life. But faith is receiving that gift and then adapting my behavior, my decision, my whole lifestyle in line with who God is and what he wants for my life. Are you guys tracking with me so far? So Hebrews 11.1 even defines faith for us. 
It says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. See, belief, mere mental belief may agree with this. But faith is a confidence in this that leads to action. And that's why Hebrews 11, if you take time this week, read the whole chapter. But the rest of the chapter is just story after story of guys like Noah, who took God at his word and he built that ark. Of guys like Abraham, who, who trusted that when God said he was giving him a land, he left his homeland. Of guys like Moses, who led the first Passover in Egypt that delivered God's people. Like faith is always includes action. Therefore, if we're trying to figure out what our own faith is, and, and, and the measure of our own faith, I mean, the best way to measure our faith is not with our feelings or knowledge, but by looking at our actions. And i got to say this, because I think this is going to set some people free today. Because a lot of us, we judge our faith based on how we feel when we wake up in the morning. Or how we feel when we're going through something hard. That because you don't feel God, you're wondering, well, do I not have much faith? But let me say, if you are choosing in the midst of, even if you feel distant from God for a season, if you're still choosing to, to show up, to keep seeking, to keep finding ways to, to, to love others, that's faith. That's the real litmus test of faith. The same can be true about knowledge. The faith isn't first measured by how much Bible we know. But are we choosing to obey and live out what we know? And so if we're, we're saying, okay, well, I want my faith to grow. Well, how do you do that? Well, faith doesn't grow by focusing on our belief, but by focusing on our faithful God. Man, I've tried all kinds of ways to grow my, grow my faith by myself. You know, you try to say all the right words when you pray. Try to read a whole bunch of books about what faith is. Try to get really emotional during worship, right? You try to drum up or produce this thing in ourselves. But man, I've realized over time that faith doesn't grow predominantly like that. Faith grows by focusing on our faithful God. Luke 17, 5. The disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. And his response is so interesting. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which is the tiniest, the tiniest of seeds, he says, you can do amazing things. What's his point? That it doesn't matter how much faith you have. What matters is where you plant it. Are we planting our faith in ourselves or in our loyal, true, faithful Priscilla Shire, in her study on the armor of God, said this, To move forward in our faith, we do not need bigger faith. We need to realize how big our God is. I need to say that again, all right? Somebody needs to hear that. To move forward in faith, we do not need bigger faith. We need to realize how big our God is. That if you're somebody like me, like always struggling to trust God, there's always, just like when you think you got it licked, there's another situation that happens in life. And like, oh, I guess I don't trust God as much as I thought I did. For all of us who are working to trust God, start by getting to know your God. Because if our eyes are always here looking at our own feelings and faith, 
When do we ever stop to realize the object of our faith? That's when it begins to grow. Because even when we were faithless, our God is faithful. And even when we had the very arrows of condemnation and death pointed right at our chest, Jesus stood in the way of it. And he took our death in our place instead. And then when darkness and evil appeared to have won, our God burst out of the grave to claim victory over Satan and make a way to life for us all. He is the true faithful one. And as we know him, we learn to trust him. And as we trust him, we take him at his word. And as we take him at his word, we begin to do what he says. And it is exactly in that moment that the arrows of the enemy flame out in light of his truth. So this is the shield of faith. But how do we use it? Where do we even start in using it? Well, every time we take a step out of trust in our faithful God, we take up the shield of faith. So where do we begin? Well, Paul says to the Christians in Rome, he says, faith comes first from hearing the message of who our God is in Jesus Christ. That makes sense. How are you going to believe and trust in something you don't know? But it is first in hearing God and his truth that faith can even begin. Because it is the word of God that is the seed of faith within us. Faith is not something that we create in ourselves. It's not something the culture creates. It's not something our church creates. It's not something your mama created or your daddy created. It's not something anybody else created. It is faith is our response to the word of God spoken to us and his truth revealed to us. So taking up the shield of faith begins not by doing, but by listening to God and his word. It begins by getting to know Jesus as, as the scriptures tell us he is. And that like, but like a shield in battle, you don't go looking for the shield when the arrows start coming at you, right? You pick this thing up before the battle starts. And that is the absolute best place to stop and learn to hear God. To open up his scriptures. That's why I do it first thing in the morning before my kids get up, right? Because... (laughs) Otherwise, like, I, it becomes too chaotic, you know, real fast. And then I, but I need to actually create a place without arrows to hear so that when they come, I'm equipped for it. But then second, as we hear, ask God's Spirit to strengthen our belief. Because when we open God's Word, it is not reading information about God. It is a conversation with the Spirit of the living God who is with you. As we open ourselves to Him. But we're not meant to hear and ask just by ourselves in private. But it's something that we do repeatedly with others. Joining with others who are growing too. And this was true in Roman battle. When the rain of fiery arrows started coming out of the sky, Romans would form a formation like this, which I I call turtle. (laughs) Let's call it turtle formation. Where many times their shields would have little hooks on the side of them. And they would hook their shields to one another in order to hold each other's shield up and in position so they are protected from all sides. 
Now, you guys know where I'm going with this, don't you? Guys, we were never, ever meant to try to do this thing on our own. A lone Christian is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. Because every single Roman battle, there's always somebody who's weak, wounded, scared, tired. And it's within this formation that they would use each other's shields to hold up the shield of the weak, damaged, hurting ones. And guys, we absolutely need each other in this church. Like, I need your encouragement. You need mine. We, we must speak life into each other as a way of linking our shields of faith together so that we can think, man, even if I'm having a hard time believing, like, I see you believing, and so that we can hold strong through this season. None of us are so strong that we don't need anybody else. No one here is. I mean, that's been one of the beautiful things about Pastoral Appreciation Month. <laughs> is that I've been receiving text and encouragement from so many of you this week. You know what that's been for me? It's been your shields linking with mine and holding mine up. It has been such an encouragement to me. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for the ways that you have loved me, Shelby, Matt, Hannah, David, Leanne, all of us. Like It, is, it has been such a picture of that. And man... It, my, like the shield has felt lighter when we receive that kind of encouragement. And that's exactly a picture of what the body of Christ is meant to be. And so if you are trying to do this Christian life on your own, let me tell you, you're working way too hard. And you're not meant to. That God created us with hooks on the side so that we can link with each other and build those relationships and sustain each other. And I'm way beyond my notes right now because like I, 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 like I want, like this is so important for us to get. That we know that if you don't have somebody in your life who is growing in faith like you are, get one. And that's why we are a church together. That's why we do small groups, Bible studies, so that we can actually build those kinds of relationships where we can spur each other on in faith. All right, I'm done. Next point. That after hearing, asking, joining, faith responds by doing what God says. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Puts them into what? Practice. Practice. We're talking about practice, all right? We're talking about practice here. Practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, the flaming arrows were falling out of the sky, yet it did not fall because it was founded on a rock. Notice, what did Jesus say protects the house? Just hearing? No. Putting it into practice. Moving from mental belief alone to faithful action. Because remember, faith is acting as if God's words are true and trustworthy. And as we consistently do this, get back to that visual if you don't mind. What's so cool is that as we hear God, we ask God to, to strengthen our faith. And then we join with others who are doing this too. And then we begin to do what God says, obey him, live the way he's calling us to do. And once we begin to do that, we start to see God's faithfulness in our lives. 
Which leads us right back to his word yet, yet again to say, oh man, this is who my God is. And then we begin to ask God again for faith and we join with others and we do what God said until we see that our faith begins to grow stronger and stronger until it becomes a lifestyle of faithful obedience following behind our faithful God. And the more that we obey, the faithful we see our God to be, the stronger our faith becomes. So you see that visual, I even try to make it shaped like a little shield. See, you get that? Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Because this is a picture of what it looks like to follow faithfully behind our faithful God. Because the most protected place we can be is following behind our faithful God. And this has been proven true time and again. When everyone was hurling insults at Noah like arrows, he continued building the ark. He remained faithful and God protected him. When Moses thought he was, he was even crazy for challenging the king of Egypt, he obeyed God anyway. And all the Israelites experienced God like a shield around them. Some of you ladies have been studying Isaiah. And in Isaiah, there's a story of the Assyrians coming against King Hezekiah and mocking Israel's God. But King Hezekiah sought the Lord and saw his deliverance. In the New Testament, Peter betrayed Jesus, and he went away to fish. Can't you imagine after betraying Jesus the arrows of guilt and shame that must be headed right toward him? But Jesus restored him, and he said, go feed my sheep. And shortly after, he went to Jerusalem, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and stepped out in obedience, spoke, and thousands came to faith. And our Lord himself... The enemy threw everything he could at him, mocks, mocked him, beat him, sent him to a cross, suffered and died. Yet he continued to move forward in faith because he knew the power of his God to raise him from the dead. And now we, because of his faithfulness, can experience his salvation. See, faith in God does not guarantee a smooth ride, but it aligns us with our faithful father. So what about you? We are not victims to the evil one. We are not pawns in a spiritual war. We are children of a faithful father. And the most protected place we can be is following behind our faithful God. And so in just a few minutes, we're all walking out of here. right? We're going from hearing to actually in a space where... We may be exposed to different arrows and things come and mess with our minds and our hearts. What are those deceptions? And then what is the truth of who our God is and who you are? And how can you hear it and take up that shield of faith, knowing that he is faithful to protect you from anything the enemy throws at you? Amen, everybody. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, we don't just want to hear your word. We want to take you at your word. We want to live knowing that your word is true. And so, God, I pray that as different, perhaps, uh, arrows have been exposed to people in here, Lord, I pray that you instead even right now, begin to speak your truth over them. 
And that we ask that your spirit would give us the strength and the faith to trust that your word is true. To not just hear it and mentally agree with it, but that as we link with each other in faith, God, that we will walk forward together believing it and living as if it is true. Because it is. And we have seen time and time again your faithfulness to us. And each time, God, it is a reminder that that you are alive and working and we can trust you. So lead us to grow together in faith. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. amen.